That was so cool. We said um, <laughs> Geeking out over our bells. Anyway, so today's main topic is on the uh, the topic of drift. A drift is a, a, a term that we use at Sabertooth Panda and we're using it in its very specific context. We are not talking here about continental drift, nor, to, nor are we talking about Tokyo drift or, um, or any Poo other kind of drift. drifting down the river? No poo no. or sticks uh, <laughs> drifting anywhere. This is not about that kind of drift. It's about the drift that you experience um, in the workplace. Now... This is a concept that may take a little bit of unpacking. So I'd like you to imagine. Uh, imagine that when you begin in a new job, let's assume in that moment that you are perfectly aligned in terms of you and your skill set, the role that you've been employed to uh, to fulfill, and the requirements of the business. And you can imagine these as kind of like three uh overlapping circles and they should be completely overlapping such that when you look at them you only really see one circle now obviously we know in reality this is never entirely true the job role is always a approximate uh fit to the business and you are always an approximate fit to the job role especially because you maybe haven't been 100 honest in your interview process and your employer certainly hasn't been 100 honest with you about what the job entails because they're trying to sell the job to you and you're trying to sell the job to them and so on and so forth but let's let's take a take an example where everything does fit very quickly because of time passing entropy being what it is what you are the skills that you have will change your preferences will change you will learn new things you will find that certain things you enjoyed doing or were good at you no longer find that you enjoy or, or, or as good at as you used to be because of perhaps changes in your your circumstances um the role itself will change and uh the the actual requirements of the role even if the role description doesn't change the role itself will change from day to day and often quite quickly and the business and what the business need is going to change and that's going to change due to changes in the uh, in the economy new uh, requirements of uh, you know, government legislation the business may grow it may shrink um, and new managers are going to come in and so on and so forth over time those three circles that were perhaps pretty closely aligned start to drift apart in different directions such that they start to appear like a Venn diagram. And then there may come a point where that Venn diagram kind of splits apart, where now you just have three separate circles, that you don't fit the role, the role doesn't fit the business, and we see this as a, an inevitable aspect of life. Change is impossible uh, to prevent the problem is of course that because of in our workplaces we can't really be 100% honest with our bosses about how we're changing our bosses can't always be 100% honest with us about how the role is changing and the organization sometimes has to be a bit strategic about what they share so it's very difficult to correct for the drift because of this uh, this, this lack of open communication between you your employers and the wider business and we call that drift and we think that's one of the reasons why people often feel disconnected from what they do disconnected from their colleagues and a little bit scared because they're no longer really in the job they wanted to be in um dina have i done a good job do you think they're describing the concept of drift 
You have, I think so. Thank you very much. Pat on the head there. Uh, do you have something you'd like to say about drift? What, what do people need to know about this? Understanding how much fear is existing in the workplace. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so when you're having that conversation with your team, your manager, about the work that you're doing, the direction of the company for that year, let's say, and you're thinking about where you stand mm. and what you're interested in and where you want to go, how much you're being open and transparent with how where things are. Mm. And I think the more transparent we are, and acknowledging that there are things changing, that we're changing, that the focus of the team or the role is changing or the strategy is completely changed, I don't know. Mm. The more transparent we are, the healthier the conversation and the more likely we can either adjust for the drift and it might be that we just review and do a redesign of some of only a few tweaks here and Mm. there and it might all come back together again. What do you think people are afraid? What causes that fear, though? Why are people afraid? There could be so many different things. It could be as simple as your relationship with your manager and is not strong enough to be open. It could be a very fundamental threat that you feel, if you're honest, that you're going to get sacked. Right. So so there is uh, the, the core of it is, surely, you wouldn't be afraid if you knew that you've got loads of money in the bank... Um, you've got you, you've got a safety net. That fear wouldn't really be there. The core fear for most people is, well, this job is what pays my rent. This job is what feeds my family. And anything I do that puts me in a vulnerable position, such as saying to the boss, I don't know if this role and me fit the way we used to. Mm, and it comes to the organisation and the employee acknowledging that this happens to everybody. And actually, if we are more open about it, that possible exit requirement mm. um, of, yes, you do need to leave, um, isn't, but doesn't become scary anymore because maybe there is a, a safety net of support. A better way to leave the A better way to leave in a healthy way mm. um, with a nice handshake um, and a, a comfortable move to another organisation without it being stressful, without you feeling like your income is a threat, all those kinds of things. Or that you've let people down. Yeah. yeah. I think the word that's calling out to be mentioned here is about trust. And I think the more there is a culture of trust in any environment, the easier it is to have those open, honest discussions, the easier it is to reflect and actually see what is it that's not working for me. So creating those cultures of trust is really important and unfortunately can never be done by one. There's two ways of looking at this. On on the one hand, you can kind of do it alone in so much as you can go there and say, okay, I am going to be honest. I am going to put myself in a vulnerable position and prove that the sky will not fall down if I say, you know what? This job feels harder than it used to feel. I don't feel like I'm performing the way I want to and I think something has changed. But that's really difficult. That is, you know, you, whenever you watch a, a movie and there's a there's a battle scene, you know, the, there's always like the bit where the two armies line up and then they run towards each other. And the first line, just they all get just swoosh, <laughs> cut down by the guys with the horses. And I always think to myself, what idiot is in the first... Like, if, you, if I were in the first bit, I'd run a bit slower than everyone else. <laughs> 
and let everyone else get there first. See, my strategy was just to lie on the floor, and I did. <laughs> well, there you go. That could work. And I think a lot of people do do that in the workplace, not literally, but in a, in a figurative uh, context, we kind of just fade into the background and hope nobody notices us. Well, with that in mind, think of the uh, the general on the hill. I'm, go- I'm not going to go too far with this metaphor because I don't know enough about military strategy, but um, they can see this happening they can see people getting plowed under they their approach to how they structured their army and the battle plan mm. and i think of managers and organizations seeing drift happen all the time mm. um and their employees getting plowed down mm. and actually it's a power back it's a responsibility of power sorry i'm gonna sound like spider-man now but then <laughs> yes <laughs> with great power with great comes power great, great responsibility, responsibility. Yes. um and that's it's actually it's, uncle ben who said that not spider-man okay i think it's on the organization the the employer to look at this situation and take the lead and role model the trust, role model the behaviour, the transparency, mm. to encourage that level of safety with their team so they don't feel like they're going to get ploughed down, but that actually the approach, the plan is going to be there to support them. Right. When you speak about this, it's making me think about the, the write-up that could follow this and the really practical tools. And one of uh, Brené Brown's books, she mentions about having the stance of assuming that the other person has your best interests at heart and sort of having that courage to go into the meeting to be open and honest and go, what is going on here? This isn't working for me or could we shift this and things? And I think that's a really useful tool to explore further in this type of context where sort of giving yourself the courage to go forward and going, this person has my best interest at heart. And generally speaking, people do have each other's best interests at heart. It's just masked by a lot of fear and mistrust and pressure and life. Yeah, I think this is true as long as we do not feel that we're in an environment of scarcity. I think that there's the scarcity versus uh, plenty. We generally are quite open and quite helpful it's when we believe that there is scarcity and frequently that's false scarcity that is when uh, people often become self-focused when i think about why this is happening uh, acknowledging that there is change going on is such an earthquake in people's lives and all of a sudden they've gone from living in a status quo everything's in their comfort zone to all of a sudden they look up and change is happening and then everything has to happen everyone's lives are impacted in a negative way and then we reset and everyone goes back to normal with a new a new state and we try and, and forget that that can happen yeah, yeah. and i feel for uh, dare i say the middle managers who are having to cope with the earthquake mm. um and talk to a team when the strategy in the organization has completely changed and they're then having to make people redundant and ask for them to leave and it's a much harsher discussion mm. And I take a step back and go, it doesn't have to be as sharp as that. If we were more aware of the direction of the company on a regular basis, more transparent about where things were going and more transparent with the people and where they wanted to go and had a healthier conversation on a much more regular basis, mm. maybe we wouldn't need such sharp, such sharp shocks all the time. Such sharp shocks. <laughs> Such you gave yourself a, a, tricky, <laughs> a tricky sentence there, and I think you did well. 
going to talk about how, as adults, we can apply scaffolding, the concepts involved in scaffolding, the, the idea of zones of proximal flow and so on, to our adult lives. And that's both, I suppose, personally, our own learning and performance and with our team at work. I think there's three general areas that adults can apply some scaffold to their learning experience. The first scaffold I would focus on is where are they learning Where at work? What is that experience like? It's not always easy to apply something new, something you've never done before whilst you're at work and having to perform on a daily basis. And maybe it's easier to apply what you're trying to learn outside of work most probably in something you enjoy doing. Right, so are you saying that essentially the workplace environment is is arguably a, a performance-centric environment, that people are very concerned about performing, and if you're really trying to learn something new, then maybe the workplace is not the best place to begin. Absolutely. So I'm not saying you can't learn at all in your work environment, but you might feel like there is less risk that you can play, practice more outside of work and make many more mistakes and feel comfortable with doing so. Okay, so, so the first thing is to alter the environment. So essentially take the thing that may be applicable in a workplace, try it in a less scary environment, maybe of course with your children to begin with. And what could see what what could be some good examples of this? When I was learning about lean in the work environment, which is a process improvement concept, I started to apply it in my home life and I was looking at process flows in how I changed nappies or how I made the tea. And I was able to start identifying improvements using lean concepts in Mm. my daily life. And how much better are you at making tea now than (laughs) than you were before? I'm a master. (laughs) Okay, so so this is is a good useful tip for anyone you work with uh, who's going to make the tea. Well, (laughs) we'll send Dina on the tea run. Absolutely. Okay, so you can so you're going to apply the concept in something that's essentially a low impact thing. But also something that you enjoy doing now. You yes. Enjoy making tea. I enjoy making tea. I know you enjoy drinking tea. <laughs> um, but it could be in a hobby, it could be huh. somewhere going on holiday. You're applying some concepts, say practicing a language whilst you're on holiday, for example. Okay. So so the first thing would be to alter the environment somewhere it is low risk, so you can practice in a in a uh, low consequence kind of way, and it can be more fun. But then eventually, you're going to have to cross that Rubicon and uh, and uh, and take. Is that a type of soft drink, Rubicon? I don't know. Pretty sure there's a Rubicon soft drink. It's also a river, um, and you have to cross the river if you're Caesar. Go back into Rome and apply your learning in Rome. And when in Rome. What do the Romans do? Okay, I think I'm with you there. So when you're at work, like I mentioned earlier, it's looking at making sure you don't dive in the deep end and try and do everything at once. Right. So So don't don't dive into the Rubicon. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry, are we still talking about the river here? I I have no idea. We're in Rome, I think. We're in Rome. Don't dive directly into Rome. (laughs) Oh, God. When you're at work Mm. and you're taking on something new, something uh, that you're learning to do, Mm. don't try and do it all at once. Look at how you can break the activity down into small bite-sized chunks Mm. and just try and apply a little bit and um, see how you're doing with that one piece. Is this a a balance thing? So you've got to look at your current skill level, your confidence level, and try to 
create something which is the right size for you to to work on within that skill and confidence level maybe just slightly outside of it though and that's a judgment question yes so say for example i was going to be delivering a two-day team building workshop in a couple of months Mm. and that was very intimidating and very scary for me to do and i Mm. needed to learn and improve what i was going to be doing before that before i just jump in the deep end and do a two-day workshop maybe i can look at what it's like to prepare for a five team five people team meeting right so you start with something small you said right there's a two-day thing in two months i'm going to start here with something that's 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 less intimidating maybe a 45 minute uh meeting and maybe practice one aspect so i'm going to this time i'm going to practice what it means to speak publicly in Mm. front of a bunch of people so you would isolate individual elements of it and go smaller so smaller narrower see if you can master certain things, build on that confidence with something else for a kind of a cyclical uh, process. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose the next part, which I think you're going to talk about, is then creating an environment in the workplace which actually supports the kind of risk-taking behaviour that we're looking for. We want to create an environment in the workplace where risk is something that people can take where they can take risks because risks is essential to learning. And the challenge is, of course, in the workplace that we maybe have systems that don't like us to take risks. We have bosses who like us to be predictable. We have normalization behaviors whereby when somebody does something unexpected or tries something new, what's the, the Japanese saying, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Is there something we can do scaffold-wise that will tweak the work environment to make learning easier and help us to stay within kind of a a zone of proximal flow whilst pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. Yes, so I think for people in the team who are supporting each other in a learning environment, it's how can you provide notes and observations on how someone is doing in a task. So tell me about that, notes and observations. So that sounds like a word for feedback, but the word feedback is very negative. Feedback is something that we all avoid strenuously up until the time when it's time for (laughs) annual review, in which case we ask specific people for good feedback, and then we write that on our annual review form, and we hope that no one else ever gives us any feedback until next year. Yes, so this type of feedback is about removing judgment Mm. and um, interrupting the flow of what someone is doing. It's looking at what your personal experiences or observations are of what Mm. someone is doing and purely just giving it to them through as information. So let's, I mean, that might seem like a weird concept to some people. So let's try and uh, clarify that. So let's say uh, you have um, made tea because you're very well practiced, (laughs) as we've discovered. And um, and I say to you, um, I don't think you were really paying attention when you made this tea. This tea is uh, is the result of sloppy, sloppy tea making craftspersonship. Hmm? Now that would be feedback. Would that be what you would consider to be good feedback? Is that my notes, my my observation? No, because you're making judgment there. Right. I would actually, uh, if we're going to talk about tea. Uh, give an example of my sister who likes really milky tea Mm. and when I've made tea for her in the past I would have made it based on my own way of doing it Mm. and I then she all she said was that um, she prefers to have milkier tea so all I need to do is 
add more milk. There was no judgment right. on it's how not you make good, bad tea. Yeah, exactly. It's not you put too much or too little milk in tea. It's my experience of this tea is that it's too milky, not milky enough. Not, not milky, milky enough. enough. <laughs> so, so really, what we're trying to do is is remove judgment and add information. And I think this is really interesting because feedback as a as a word literally means to to take something and, and feed it back into the system. So something comes out and it, we're putting it back in. And in a way, I, I think probably a, a really good analogy for thinking about this is like the uh, the sonar on a submarine. Um, you you hear the beep 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 right goes out and then it comes back. It's reflected back off the rocks and so on. The rocks are not giving you their opinion. <laughs> about your submarine driving or driving sailing do you sail a submarine um I'm no idea no I, you, you you sink a submarine but that doesn't sound right either um what you're doing there is you're you're getting information pure information there is a rock there there is no judgment the feedback is the reflection of that sonar beep and yet in a workplace environment oh, someone's coming to arrest us for uh, for murdering analogies um in a workplace environment what you're actually looking for is that signal in the noise that reflection that tells you something is there which you can use or avoid a good way to remember is that word reflection that when you're providing feedback and mm. observations that you are reflecting back um to the person doing it what you're right. seeing and for the person receiving the information, it's just reflection. It's up to on them to decide doing. what exactly. to do with it. And, and I think you said notes before, which I think is a word taken from the world of theatre, where you might look at someone's performance and go, during that section, I found myself focused very much on uh, your facial expression. Mm. Now, if that's what the performer wanted you to focus on, great. If maybe that's not what they wanted you to focus on, then good. That's also useful because now I can adjust my performance. And and that, again, is very different from uh, from giving someone, I didn't like your facial expression, or I did like it, because maybe they don't want you to like it. Maybe the point is for the facial expression to be unpleasant. Maybe they're supposed to make you uncomfortable, and you don't know until you get the understanding of it. So I think that idea of notes is, is really, really key. So what's that going to do to the environment? What this does to the environment is it creates a much more relaxed, open, transparent environment. And for- Because we're not afraid of feedback. Exactly, and for the learner trying something new, not only are they getting that information that can help them make those small adjustments and change how they're doing something, but also it creates a more supportive team in that person going through that journey. If you're a leader in a work environment or if you have any influence over a work environment, what we're encouraging you to do here is to try to encourage a very feedback-rich environment as a form of scaffold because this will alter the way people feel about risk-taking, about mistakes, because mistakes actually become a source of improvement rather than a source of shame, not a headwind, but actually winning your sales. Going on a learning journey shouldn't be a huge risk for mm. someone in who they are as an individual at work. They shouldn't feel that they're going to be embarrassed for um, taking on something new. Mm. Um, if we treat people that way, how on earth are we supposed to grow as an individual or as a team or an organisation mm. if we're constantly... Uh, judging people and battering them down saying they can't do something new because we'll judge you and tell you you're a bad person for making a mistake. Yeah. There is an implicit bias that says stay in your lane, stay in your box, 
do what you know. And it's weird, because I'm fond of telling people, we are all ignorant of virtually everything. <laughs> if you look at the world, the amount of stuff you know, compared to what could be known, the stuff you're good at compared to what you could be good at, basically, it's a rounding error. And I think that humility needs to be what, what is brought in uh, to these environments and this process. I think we've covered off everything we need. Yeah. I think uh, we took a bit longer than we expected, but it was fun and there was submarines. Thank you very much. You're about to hear a a little bit of a snippet that we took out from the recording for this episode, uh, which seemed a bit sort of uh, squirrely and um, complex, but I thought was interesting, and uh, I thought if you're really into listening to us, then maybe you'll stick around post-credits. We're like a Marvel movie. Um, Much, much smaller budget. But... Um, this this is a little bit of an extra conversation that you might find interesting, and I thought I'd leave it tacked on at the end in the post show, and maybe in the future, I'll I'll do this tiny tiny secret bits for the super fans. Enjoy. Cheerio. This this is a thing that really annoys me and really upsets me, is that there are so many people who are in jobs who have extraordinary skills and talents and abilities which they cannot apply in the work that they're in. Mm. And the idea that we have to have this one job and this one job has to fulfill every part of our lives and every element of who we are, um, it's a bit like having one friend who's supposed to be your only friend and everything you ever want to do, you always do it with this one friend. But you know, that nobody would consider that to be reasonable. Uh, you have many friends you have you have possibly your spouses and you well not spouses most people have one spouse what was that Aaron? Uh, well, you as in the populace have spouses um, and, and you may also have uh, you know other people you're very close to your family and you have them for different reasons they do different things for you and the idea that this one job has to cover everything and that anything that's not use, useful in that job is is not useful at all So that aspect that people just feel like their skills are valueless because their current employer doesn't care about them. I I also feel... um, I hear what you're saying, but it screams out to me also about responsibility because then that's not just trust. It is your individual job to make sure that you are fulfilled in your life. That's nobody else's job. It's not Dina's job. It's not my job. It's not in and and that counts for your professional life, your spiritual life, your social life. Your I get you, but what I would say on responsibility. Yes, it's easier when there's a trusting environment to have these kinds of discussions and stuff. But ultimately, it is your responsibility to lead a fulfilling it life. It is, but I want to respond just to that point. I will, I will, I will, I will come to you, but, but what I would say is from an employer's perspective, if you have someone who works for you and you only see them through the lens of the role in which you've employed them, you may be missing out on a whole range of things that they could bring of value to your organisation. So I'm not saying yeah. the employer should do it for you because... No, they, I, agree. I do agree with that. I just... I think this is a very deep... A deep kind of thing, but before we are thinking, you know, it's all about creating this perfect trusting world and stuff. And I'm like, hang on, 
if you're not having that respect, the, that respectful and trusting thing, it's still your responsibility to Granted. create it, get out, change, try something new, mm-hmm. you know. And I think so. what happens to so many individuals, it's almost like they've gone through a, a moment of socialization into the environment in the workplace that they're mm-hmm. in, that it's almost like they forget there is another way of living, that there is another workplace yeah. that they could be in, that this is the only place they're working, this is the only boss they have, and this is the only job that they can do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that very fixed, convergent perspective on life almost they forget that responsibility that they can make changes and then it becomes all the responsibility becomes on the employer to look after that individual and it's it's a learned helplessness so I think there is a responsibility in the round Mm. to be more transparent and open about everything changes and where are the options and I think that that really leads back to what was that the first podcast discussion that we have now saying about teaching children for the future needs to be teaching them how to adapt and change and want to learn and want to grow and have that emotional fulfillment and do what they can i mean my um my wonderful dad is the most brilliant example that he was he always has said you know you do what makes you happy that is Mm. your responsibility and ultimately it doesn't make most of us happy to annoy other people or upset someone and stuff like that but your primary responsibility is yourself over and above your children or your dog or your twenty thousand cats or this is important from it's important to point out that that's not a selfish thing some people consider it selfish to focus on themselves and I always say to my clients the world deserves the best version of you that you can be and whenever you can become that person whatever you can do to make yourself happier and and more productive and more useful to society is going to be better for them and you Mm -hmm. this is not selfish this is this is very altruistic yeah 